All right, we're talking about beholders today. So I wanted to ask you, because they actually say in a couple of places in a couple of books, they talk about beholders sleeping. They also talk about how beholders are consistently levitating. What does your beholder look like when it sleeps? Now, all of the little eye stalks are still open and moving around. We're going to talk about that later. But, like, do they do they lay on the floor? They're, they're balls. Like, they're spheres. <laughs> do they just, like... Do they just, like... Laying on their side on the on the ground while their eye stalks are looking around, or do they, they stop levitating when they sleep? It doesn't say. Oh, I'm curious. How how would you guys play it? Your your beholder is asleep. You are DMing. The beholder is asleep. The party sneaks in. The rogue gets ahead, peeks around the corner, succeeds in a perception check. What do they see? Mm. Is it just like listing to the left and rotating in the air? I well, should we roll for it? Sure. Eighteen. I got it. I ooh, Dave put oh, me to a nineteen. You got a ten. Okay, 10. so um, no, for me, I like the idea of it just like slowly rotating. Yeah, just just very very slowly rotating at kind of a kind of like a fifteen degree angle, right? And just maybe, maybe tongue hanging out the side oh, like okay. a dog. I like the tongue. Yeah, and uh, and snoring. Yeah, I don't even know if they have noses. Most of them that I've seen don't, but. But I assume that it snores. <laughs> Terry would a mouth breather. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of as we would as humans, we we would lose our balance if we were to fall asleep. But of course, they're constantly levitating. So they just like slip a little bit. Like they'll just <laughs> either fall forwards or backwards or to the side. And for a party to come across one, like if it just fell forwards, for example, it would just look like a big ball sack. Like you wouldn't. And like, I just like the idea of the barbarian being like, what? What is that? And like maybe poking it a little bit, or just falling backwards so the eye is just pointing up towards the sky. Oh, you know that head nod that people do when they're like almost asleep, and they're like, oh, "All right, oh, I'm I'm awake," and they like snap their head back, and, and then a ray goes oh, off. Yeah, I just doing that all the time. <laughs> Disintegrate. <laughs> nice. Uh, I like the idea of it just like going to sit on the ground in a corner, and then that way, you know, maybe it, you'd change it up a little bit. I would home maybe make it gray. You know, to match the rock, and then they're just like walking through a dark room, and then an eye opens on yeah. the ground, looking up at them. Or like ten little eyes pop up from behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pe- like use, it use it sleeping in its environment to kind of mess with the people walking through the room. Yeah, I like that. Do you think that it casts sleep on itself to go to sleep? I mean, that would be fantastic. like I'm tired of the rest of the day. I'm yeah. just having a bad day. I'm going to bed. Down he goes. I mean, would you do that? Like, would it work as a player? Why character? wouldn't it work? <laughs> It, they're not immune to sleep. Do yeah. You get, do you get a good night's sleep, or is it just like passing out when you're drunk? Like it doesn't really regenerate you in any way. You just you just. I'm I'm it. confused to the concept of a good night's sleep. What are you What are you talking about? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> what is that when you're not constantly thinking about the impending doom? <laughs> oh, is that what? Is that your issue? I'm, I'm prepping podcasts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was scrolling through. Uh, where, like all of the episode info and I was like Adam's prepped until episode 246 yes <laughs> yes I am we're in episode 85 I think so yeah although a lot of it is just Dan do better Terry less dick jokes yeah. that's all it's all the show notes so welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs Adam, Terry and Dave Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the round tanger Leave it in. Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. 
I'm Adam, and with me today are Terry and Dave, and we're talking about Beholders. Guys, have you used Beholders in your campaign? Have you DM'd a Beholder before? I've actually never DM'd a Beholder, but it's on my bucket list for sure. Uh, I mean, if I have, uh, it was not of note, and I did recently use a Spectator, though. Well, there's the Spectator in um, Minds of Fandover, right? That's where you found it? Yeah, that's where mm. I did it, yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, but... Uh, <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of people out there that love Beholders, but I don't think ever really get to use them. Yeah. Or if they do, they throw them into a homebrew and they're not... Beholders are very, very specific in what they are. And I think people just use them as crazy random eye rays of, of crazy batshit. There's a lot of role-playing potential with these guys, yeah. right? So I think that's why, that's why I would like to do it. Because I would go uh, very deep into that. Have you fought a Beholder? I've... Yes, I have. Yeah, you fought a, pro- a beholder proper. You also fought a death tyrant. It didn't go well. Yeah, it didn't. I died. <laughs> well, we spoke to the one in your Tuesday campaign. Yep. But we didn't fight it or like, we just chatted a little bit. Yeah, he was chained up over a... Uh, Don't over speak, a, only stab. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Um. So, do you guys like fighting them? Are they scary? They are scary. They're scary because they're, they are so... Be- um, unpredictable. It's hard to predict how the battle is going to go. Mm-hmm. It can go in so many different directions, and there's so many variables. There's there's no way to predict it, and it, there's so it's they're very difficult to prepare for. As a dungeon master, they frustrate the shit out of me to run because they're so iconic. They're so classic. I love running them, but they are absolutely a nightmare to prep because you don't know what your damage output's going to be. Yeah, you can't figure out what your strategy is going to be. Um, and they actually get into it in Volos about actual battle strategies and, and what to do. Oh, that's good. Um, which is fantastic. I wish I'd had access to that book when I ran the last one because you guys ran one who was trapped. You guys fought one that was trapped, and that was that was scary. Scary enough. I tend not to let them move because when I let them move, they outright murder characters. Yeah. Because right? they're very hit and run. But uh, let, let's get into it. For those of you who don't know... Um, Beholders are the, I guess, second most famous enemy in Dungeons and Dragons. The first being, of course, Dungeons. <laughs> so, well, you know, beholders, <laughs> beholders are a classic. Like that, when I think Dungeons and Dragons, Beholders are my like one of my go tos. You know, yeah. we we didn't want Dan on this episode because he rants about what they did in the D and D movie to Beholders. They turned them into guard dogs. Yeah. Right, and I've been thinking about those the whole time we've been here, and will continue to the whole time. We're I was here. actually just listening to the Paladins episode on the way up, and he, as I turned it off, he was talking about the Dungeons and Dragons movie. So yeah, he <laughs> hates that movie, something fierce. So, uh, which makes me happy on the insides. Um, so let, let's get into what a Beholder is, uh, Beholder proper in Fifth Edition, because a lot of people are carrying over what a Beholder was uh, from previous editions, and they've really refined it and made it very specific. Now. There's a lot of shit that goes into Beholder Layers. For transparency's sake, we are going to get into a second episode of Beholders the next time we circle back to Monsters, and that's when we're going to cover the Beholder Layers. So we're not going to worry too much about that shit today. We're going to focus on the main Beholder, and in my opinion, the two most common uh, ones that you will run into right. um, in a D&D campaign, um, not including the Death Tyrant, because that's a beast unto itself. So... Um, it says right at the beginning of Volos that beholders are largely unfathomable, but here's what we know. They're aberrations with spherical bodies that always hover above the ground. 
the face of a beholder has only two features, a large glaring eye and a slaverish maw full of horrifying sharp teeth. Protruding from seemingly random places on their bodies are a number of strong, twisting eye stalks that can move and swivel to see in any direction. While the big central eye does close when the beholder is asleep, the other smaller eyes stay vigilant. This means that beholders never truly sleep and are always semi-conscious. This is important later. They're greedy, paranoid, self-righteous megalomaniacs who are full of rage and pride. They're convinced that everyone is out to get them and no one can be trusted because everyone is jealous of their towering intellects and raw eldritch powers. Everyone is an enemy, even other beholders. Because the physicality of beholders varies greatly, each beholder sees all others as lesser imperfect beings compared to themselves, much like Terry at the beach. <laughs> the texture of skin, the flexibility of the eye stalks, and the coloration and facial features can be wildly different from beholder to beholder. So there's a sense of, indi of individuality and their own personal individual perfection is very specific to each single beholder. Lesser beings that aren't threats are seen as minions, pets, or food. Mostly food. They believe that the only creatures capable of truly threatening them are other beholders, but there are some that will scheme and plot against them, and sometimes one of these lesser foes might show enough power to gain a modicum of respect from a beholder. So they'll opt to charm the creature or put them to sleep instead of killing them and eating them. But this is not a good thing because when this happens, they then interrogate, subjugate, and break the will of this person, then giving them the ability to join their ranks as a minion. Despite the fact that some will have little crews of minions, most beholders are solitary. They're hiding in twisting, confusing layers that they've bored out with a disintegration ray. But some find their way closer to civilizations, living under cities and running evil empires full of weak servants that they tend to send out to do their bidding. These tyrannical monsters often find themselves running organized crime rings, heading guilds, or becoming warlord. warlords, not warloads. Warlords? It's warlords. a little different. Yeah. yeah. A load of war. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> These are known as eye tyrants. They're not actually a monster type. They're just relatively like colloquially. What, what? Colloquially. There it is. You haven't made this many fuck-ups in 85 episodes. I am so tired today because <laughs> I don't sleep. I just hover. With your eye stalks open? With my, well, kind of. Uh, um, so, yes, it's that's, that's the local slang. There we go. I found another way to say it. Um, spoiler alert, Xanathar. The Xanathar is one of these. Mm -hmm. And you actually get to deal with him quite a bit in the... Um, Waterdeep series. Right. So, And Xanathar is not his or her name. It's a title. Is it? That's right? Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's his name. Oh, I'm pretty okay. sure that's his name. Yeah. Um, a lot of what we know about Beholders is that they often have motivations and objectives that make them uh, seem like they make sense to humanoids at first. But when you dig deeper into their strange and towering intellects, it's clear that their intentions are far from normal. If people think in black and white and gray... And the Fae think in what we call blue-orange mentality. Beholders think in a texture of magenta and deep teal shadows with purple auras and lime green stripes. Is that what it says? I don't know what that means, but there it is. <laughs> I think that's the point. Is we have no yeah. way to fathom it. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, All right. Yep. Uh, their intelligence is so high that they don't just see a few moves ahead like an average person does. They see every possible eventuality and plan for them all simultaneously. This is often interpreted as the most extreme version of paranoia, but it just means that they'd make good dungeon masters. Yeah. They can see two completely unrelated events and imagine all sorts of ways that they might be related uh, or be part of some enemy's evil scheme. And by seeing these things from different perspectives, pun intended, they are truly prepared for every potential scenario. With plans on top of plans, they are nigh impossible to surprise or outwit. Which makes these incredibly daunting to run as a dungeon master. Right. They do have layers, which means they get layer actions and regional effects. It also means that they're legendary creatures, which means they get legendary actions. Uh, but they don't get legendary resistances, which, mo which most do. So that was a little surprising to me. Um, they also very specifically get layers because according to the lore, they have alien mindsets and bizarre kinds of perception that they use to warp and shape their surroundings with sheer malevolent willpower. Remember how I said that they never really sleep? Their bodies do slumber a little, but their minds never stop. And sometimes they dream of other beholders. And occasionally when that happens, they will dream a new beholder into existence. Most of the time, this means that the two will fight to the death. Most beholders have killed the ones who spawned them because of this. This is the only known way that they reproduce. You know, now that you mention it, I totally did fight these in my Wednesday group with Justin. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, because... We were getting into trouble, so he had one dream up another one. Or somebody put one to sleep or something, but one dreamed up another one. So now that you say it, yes, oh I have God. fought these. I would love, yeah, a random table of what a beholder is dreaming about for such for such an event that if you know you have a spellcaster that has a sleep spell in the party, if they do that, okay, well, let's roll on the, uh, on the beholder sleep table. Oh, wait, it, it gets worse. Occasionally, a beholder will dream about its own reflection. Or it will have a fractured sense of self, much like multiple personality disorder, and they will all be dreaming at the same time. And when this happens, it spawns multiple smaller versions of itself, which it sees as extensions of its own being. And this is called a beholder hive, and it is not to be fucked with. <laughs> they all treat each other as siblings, and they're so similar that they often predict each other's actions intuitively. There can be up to 10 of these beholders plus the original, plus minions, with layer actions and regional effects. It's almost permission to metagame as a D&D, as, as a D&D, as a D&D, <laughs> as a DM, because you could say, well, I moved this one here because this one knew that this one was going to do this, and so this is why they're all, all my pieces are here. Yeah, I do that kind of, when I've got like a like an army running forward, I know that if I've got three orcs that are a strike team, yeah. they know what the other ones are kind of going to do. But this is in perfect tandem. I get to yeah. control everything. A Beholder itself is CR 13. It says in the Monster Manual that when you put it in a layer, it's CR 14. There's no real stat about the Beholder Hive. Mm -hmm. but I mean 10 CR 13 creatures technically CR 14 creatures plus the original plus minions that's a dungeon crawl that's a dungeon crawl where you're fighting two or three builders a session right for a few sessions that's nutty I I don't know how I would feel about having to conquer that as a player yeah yeah that'd be a lot especially because it's wildly radically different now 
Before we get into Beholder stats like we normally do, I wanted to go over some of the stuff that's in Volos because we have an entire section about it here. Um, first and foremost, one thing that, that's really common with all of the different types of Beholders, because they've got what's what are called Beholder Kin, because um, there's a number of Behold Diet Beholders, Beholder Zero, mm-hmm. right? Beholder Light um, with, with Lime. Um, <laughs> they... Uh, most of them have this anti-magic cone that comes out of the, the front of the eye, right? And so I wanted to address that they cannot use their powers inside this cone. Right, okay. So while the cone is really good for locking down a spellcaster so that they can't move um, and they can't cast spells while you're looking at them, you also can't shoot into this. So while you knock them out, you can't really do much else at first. So... Um, they want you to be using your legendary actions. They want you to use the anti-magic freely. They want you to use eye rays to the best of your effect. And they want you to stay out of range and out of sight. The idea here is that, I know we said we talked about layers, but their layers are catacombs. And they're difficult to maneuver through because they think vertically because they can levitate. Mm. So it's very hard for people to move around, which is what killed Terry's character, right? Duke died because this this death tyrant was popping up and down out of holes and there was a whole like cavern system beneath where you guys were where it was moving around and you couldn't get to it it would pop up hit you and disappear it was perfect D&D for me because I went through I went through fear excitement of the the, you know how I am I'm like I'm so excited because the lair was so good but also I died so (laughs) um now they've got a bunch of different rays and I will get into it we'll each get into it when we get into the the breakdowns but they've got variant abilities as well in here. Um, and when we come up with, with these, as we start to talk about them all, um, I'm going to give you what the variants are so that when you think about these hives with all of these different beholders, it's not going to be the same carbon copy over and over again because each one of the potential rays has a bunch of different spells that you can use instead of an equal level. All right. So that being said, uh, I'm on the regular beholder. What do you guys have? I have Spectator. I've got the Gazer. All right, let's roll and see who's going to be covering what. Sure. First. I got a 16. I got a 10. Oh, you bumped me to an 8. I'm going last. Uh, Dave, you're a 12. I got a 12. Huh? We're, we're starting with the little guy first. <coughs> we're working our way up in size. Yeah, yeah, this of guy. Of holders, not, of, you know what I'm saying. Penises. What are you saying? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, also that. Also that. Oh. Well, I ha- I'll have you know this one is eight inches wide. Okay. <laughs> well uh, then. <laughs> uh, legitimately, the gazer is it's small. It's it's only eight inches yeah. wide. Uh, these things are a CR half, so they're not particularly difficult. Um, these are tiny manifestations of beholder dreams. They look like a beholder, but they're obviously again a lot smaller, and they've got four eye stalks, uh, and each one can do something different, right? Yeah. Uh, so these things have an AC of 13 uh, and also 13 hit points. They have a fly speed of 30 feet. What CR are they? Half. Yeah, okay. They're living up to that then. Yeah, I mean, their strength is 3. Their dex is pretty good uh, at a 17. Con is a 14. Intelligence, 3. Uh, wisdom, 10. Charisma, 7. So these things are not super strong. They're, you know, well-balanced. Uh, <clears throat> for skills, they only do perception and stealth. And they are immune to uh, being prone. 
Which, is that the same for most beholders? Yes, they're all immune to being prone. Yeah, uh, these things also have dark vision. Now, they don't speak a language, okay? Instead, they have an ability called mimicry, uh, which just allows them to mimic other noises and sounds that they've heard. Uh, and I believe that it says here that um, when they speak, it's in high-pitched in a mocking manner. So it's like, go open the door. You open the door. Right? <laughs> Every time they go in, I'm like... I would love that. So they're, they're annoying little pests, right? I gave one of these to a player as a familiar. Yeah. And it was... How'd that work out? Uh, I took away the ability to be mocking, and instead I gave... It, his name was Bubbles. Bubbles, yeah. that's the name. I started yeah, and, and, all, and all he could do... <laughs> oh, and he was just angry. <laughs> and the emotion through the bubbles. That's right. I don't know what he wants. <laughs> and then I raise. <laughs> Often at the players. That's... You know, that's on point. Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, they will attack just about anything that's smaller than them. Uh, or, you know, small children or whatever. They're just... They kind of got a mind of their own, and they do gravitate towards um, people that will also attack others. They're, they, they're confrontational, and they like people that are confrontational. They're uh, uh, okay. So these guys are hyper aggressive as well. Most beholders are aggressive. They are. Um, <clears throat> uh, now, in an addition to mimicry, they've also got the aggressive uh, trait, which just allows them to move up to their speed as a bonus action. Uh, but it has to be towards a hostile creature that it can see. No, they're just charging. These are just guard dogs. Essentially, they're little eight-inch guard dogs. They're like angry little terriers. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, they do get a bite attack, which is a plus five to hit, and does a whole one piercing damage. You don't even roll for it. It's just one damage. Yeah. All right. Uh, and they do have four eye rays. <clears throat> uh, now, on their turn, they can shoot up to two of them um, per turn. Uh, and they can choose the same one twice. It's you yeah. know, that's fine. And you, it can either be one or two targets. Do you roll randomly? Uh, no, they, they get to pick what it is. Uh, they have to be able to see it within sixty feet, which I thought was a pretty good range for for some of these. Like sixty feet, that's that's pretty good. Uh, the four eye rays it has. The first one is dazing ray. Uh, the target creature must succeed on a DC twelve wisdom save or be charmed until the start of the gazer's next turn. Uh, while the target is charmed this way, its speed is halved and has disadvantage on attack rolls. Pretty straightforward. Uh, there's the fear ray. <clears throat> the targeted creature must succeed on a DC 12 wisdom saving throw or be frightened until the start of the gazer's next turn. It's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, frost ray. The targeted creature must succeed on a DC 12 dex save or take 3d6 cold damage. Again, not bad. And I like this one the best, the telekinetic ray, the number number four. Yeah. Uh, if the target is a creature that is medium or smaller, it must succeed on a DC 12 strength save or be moved up to 30 feet directly away. Which, I like the idea of these things just kind of pushing people away. I love it. Whenever you can affect movement or manipulate somebody's position on a board, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of fun. The other neat thing that I think would make these things a great familiar uh, is that with the telekinetic ray, they can also perform like very precise actions like opening a jar or opening a door and stuff like that so they would be great to have kicking around they can do these fine-tuned things just by looking at it if they want to if they want the to dicks yeah like, can you open that jar for me smash <laughs> right yeah, Parker, tell, yeah open the door right? for me like <laughs> it can open it like dexterously if it wanted to but it just fires it across the room yeah right same thing 
things are a pain in the ass, and I think they would be a lot of fun to have a familiar as a familiar. Uh, in fact, they give you a variant of the gazer um, to be a familiar. <clears throat> Spellcasters who are interested in unusual familiars find that gazers are eager to serve someone who has magical power. And like I said, especially those that make a point to bully others around them. They like yeah. the shit disturbers. Uh, if they become a familiar, they uh, form a telepathic bond with its willing master, but the master has to be a third level spellcaster or higher. I feel really bad for the spellcaster that has to share a brain with one of these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, while the two are bonded, the master can sense what the gazer senses as long as they are within one mile of each other. If the master causes... Like, what, like they both notice titties at the same time? It's like, give each other the eyebrow raise. Right? You get that? The <laughs> eyebrow? <laughs> yeah, like the double wolf whistle. It's like the idea of the one eyebrow going up. It's like, hey, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Does I've, the central eye have a, have a power for the gazer? Not that I'm aware no, of. No, okay. Um, <clears throat> also, if the master causes it physical harm... Then the gazer will end its service as a familiar, breaking the telepathic bond. So these things can just... They're fickle. Yeah. Screw oh, off when yeah. they want to. Moody. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. But, I mean, that's really all there is on these things. There's not, like I said, a lot to them. They just do, uh, you know, the aggressive and mimicry. And then, of course, they're forays. I, I love these things. Um, I'm going to give this as a, like... Pact of the Chain Warlock for Great Great Old One. Yeah. Right? So I see it as a that, Warlock. Yeah, that warlock. aberration feel to it, right? Yeah, no, these things are neat. There's even a little blurb at the top of the page here. Uh, you know, a note from Volo. He says, I walked into a bar and uh, somebody had one of these and it threw me against the wall. Yeah. I almost spilled my beer. You know, like... <laughs> yeah. They're just... They're set... They're not set pieces, but they're, they're there to play with. You know, they can add a good... I see this as what pops out when either you intended to summon something else and you fucked it up, or you, you were trying to do something else, and this happened and now you're stuck with it. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, it, it imprinted itself on you, the warlock. It's not <laughs> the, going away. Yeah. <laughs> you, you ask your patron for a gift and you fuck it up somehow and this comes out, and you're like, great, well, thanks. <laughs> I love the idea of you having to go up against like a sixth level warlock or something. It was evil. And he's got ten of these fucking things. Yeah. And the encounter is a decent... Like, that's a CR8 encounter, probably, as he's just throwing gazers at you. Mm -hmm. Tossing you around the board. Maybe there's a ledge nearby or a vat of acid or something. And they just keep throwing you around and hitting you with charm rays. And, and they could they could fuck up a, C, a level 8 party. Yeah. The, the thing that I didn't mention here that changes all of that is that it shoots two of the rays at random. You gotta roll a d4 for them. Oh no, so it is random. So you don't choose. No, I suppose not. Sorry, I missed that part. But the same one can happen twice if you land the same number twice. Yeah, that's yeah. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, but that's that's a lot. That's every kind of beholder has to roll, I believe. Terry, is that true for the spectator? No, it's not for the spectator. It's interesting because they're the only ones that aren't evil, right? Yeah. No, they're lawful neutral. What what's a what's a gazer? They sound chaotic evil. Uh they're neutral evil. Neutral evil, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really like these guys. They're they're tons of fun, especially when, because they mock people. I like the idea, too, of you don't know what's there, and you're going through the caverns, and every time someone's like, hey, be quiet, you hey, 
be quiet. Yeah. It's like, oh, what the fuck is that? And they don't think it's a goblin or a kobold mocking them yeah. or something. And then this little bastard pops up. One eye stalk pops up, shoots something. You don't know what till you roll it. And then flies away. What is it, 30 feet movement? Yeah, 30 feet. But with the aggressive, it can move that as well. But no, but I mean like for retreating. But they're little. They can go through little little holes in the wall. They can go through the ceiling, right? Or down through sewer grates and shit too. So this could be a really fun pest. Absolutely. It says even right in the book that they're looking for lone creatures to not attack, but harass. Right? <laughs> they're not looking to like have a confrontation. They just want to piss you off. I like I the idea. I like the idea of like, hey, didn't there used to be a cobalt warren on the outskirts of town? What happened to them? I don't know. No idea what happened to them. There's just a one gazer in the middle of this warren now. It's like, <laughs> and all the cobalts are fucked up. They just couldn't handle this fucking gazer anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Or you come across a gazer and then a dead body where they've clearly just put their own brains out with a crossbow or something. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Before we get on to the next one, let's cut to a commercial really quickly. Uh, we're doing Wildbot 3D again because um, they've got all the condition markers mm. as well, which are really helpful, especially when it comes to tracking beholder shit. So, not literally beholder shit, but shit. Hi, everybody. It's Adam. Once again, we're dedicating a full episode to conditions and condition effects in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. And we can't have these conversations without discussing our old friend, Wildbot 3D. Wildbot 3D has really revamped their website since the last time we discussed them on the show, and you should definitely check out the updated options there. They still have those glorious tracker rings that display the conditions in 3D on your gaming table, and they fit so beautifully around standard medium-sized minis and cover nearly everything we've been discussing on these condition-heavy episodes. They're color-coded, easy to read, unique, and fun to add to all of your D&D games. I use them in my own game all the time, and I've come to rely on them to keep track of which character has what spell or condition affecting them. My personal favorite is the enlarged tracker, but they're all great for both DMs and players alike to buy. Monks that stun, clerics that curse, and warlocks that hex, there are tracker rings for you in here too. But Wildbot 3D offers more than just these tracker rings now. There are also unique character sheets for martial and caster classes, there's beautiful dice, and hilarious D&D themed t-shirts. My next purchase is going to be the Initiative Tracker Rings, which help display who's going in which order, and are incredibly useful for keeping track of multiple monsters on your map. These things are a game changer, so head on over to wildbot3d.com and check them out on Instagram. But for now, let's head on back to the discussion. Okay, so we're back, uh, and Terry, yeah. you're up next. I have spectators, which I'm actually really excited that uh, this, because I'm uh, to, to, for everybody out there, I'm actually covering for Dan tonight, uh, and so he was supposed to be doing spectators, but now I'm doing spectators, and I'm excited about it. So, um, a spectator is a lesser beholder that is summoned from another plane of existence by a magical ritual, the components of which include four beholder eye stalks that are consumed by the ritual's magic. Appropriately, a spectator has four eye stalks, two on each side of the wide eye at the center of its four foot diameter body and i love these different elements of the spectator as well so let's go through them here so magical guardians a summoner 
A summoned spectator guards a location or a treasure of its summoner's choice for 101 years, allowing no creature but its summoner to enter the area or access the item, unless the summoner instructed otherwise. If the item is stolen or destroyed before the years have all passed, a summoned spectator vanishes. It otherwise never abandons its post. I just want to touch on that for a second, whether or not you guys enjoy that aspect of it or not, because I've actually played with that in Adam's game where you ran a spectator and it was lots of fun. I was just saying to you before the podcast, I didn't realize because I didn't know much about spectators at the time uh, that you were sticking so closely to the lore, but it is a very fun element of it. Yeah, I like the, I like them as guard dogs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're great just kind of hanging around. They may have the the secrets of the dungeon they're in, you know, they're kind of yeah, wealth exactly. of information. Right? And yeah. this next part I love as well, the, the uh, this, this part of Beholder Kin. Uh, Glimmers of Madness... Though it can speak, a spectator communicates primarily by way of telepathy. It is civil while on guard, openly discussing its orders of its summoner. However, even a brief conversation with a spectator is enough to reveal quirks in its personality brought on by its years of isolation. It might invent imaginary enemies, refer to itself in the third person, or try to adopt the voice of its summoner. Like any beholder, a spectator views itself as the epitome of its kind, and it has an intense hatred of other spectators. If two spectators encounter one another, they almost always fight to the death which is pretty common of beholder kind anyway yeah now would that be do either of you know would it be spectator on spectator what about if a spectator comes across a like beholder proper is it going to have that same aggression or is it going to recognize that it probably shouldn't attack that there's a bit of a hierarchy isn't there um we know there is because there's cr ratings but not really like they're they genuinely believe that they're the best of their kind yeah 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 um, freed from service. Uh, when a spectator has fulfilled its service, it is free to do as it pleases. Many take up residence in the places they previously guarded, especially if their summoner summoners have died. With the spectator's loss of purpose, the flickers of madness it displayed during its servitude flourish. That's funny that even when 101 years of service are done, they just choose to stay where they are anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been summoned directly to this plane. And... It's implied that they're summoned from the, the um, far realms. Right. Right. Because they're aberrations. And you got to imagine that the physics and stuff are different here than they are there. So this is probably all they know of this plane in the first place. Right. Like the, like the whole room type thing. They don't know yeah. anything outside of the room. That exactly. They think this is the, the existence. Like, yeah. And why would I bother to go out there when I've got everything I need in here? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's strange for us because that's so not human to think like that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into the, the mechanics and the uh, and the stats then. So, Spectator is a medium aberration. It's lawful neutral. AC 14 with its natural armor. Standard hit points at 39. Um, speed is 0 feet, but it flies for 30 feet. That's because it hovers. Strength 8. Dex 14. Con 14. Intelligence 13. Wisdom 14. Charisma 11. Um, so, condition immunity is prone. It does have dark vision of 120 feet. Passive perception 16. Its languages are deep speech, undercommon, and telepathy for 120 feet. And it's a CR of 3. Anything standing out there that you think is unusual, is wrong, or is pretty standard? How, how did the stats stack up against the gazer, Dave? Uh, the dark vision's a little bit longer. Uh, it's more intelligent. It's got a little more charisma. Other than that, it's close to the same. Right. But it has languages, where yeah. the gazer did not. But they both can fly 30 feet, right? Yes. Just the gazer is far more aggressive to get into battle, yeah. right? Whereas it feels like the spectator's sitting back. Yeah, what do you imagine deep speech sounds like? I imagine like a really low didgeridoo. 
Like we can't even fathom <laughs> that it's a language. Yeah, something like throat singing. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah it, it would be something like that. It also, in my head, is wet. Right, yeah. Low, slow, and moist. Yes. Yeah. The name of my sex tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't argue with that, can you? Okay, let's... Speaking of one-eyed monsters. <laughs> Actions. It does have a bite, if should you choose to use it. Um, well, please, why are we talking about spectator again? <laughs> okay, thank you. Plus one to hit, reach five feet. One target, uh, and on a hit, it's two damage or 1d6 minus one. Okay, but let's get into the excited part, which is the eye rays. The spectator shoots up to two of the following magical eye rays at one or two creatures it can see within 90 feet of it. It can use each ray only once a turn. But it's not random. The spectator can choose its rays. Okay. Right here in the text. So first on confusion ray, the target must succeed on a DC 13 wisdom saving throw or it can't take reaction to, reactions until the end of its next turn. On its turn, the target can't move and it uses the action to make a melee or ranged attack against a randomly determined creature within range. If the target can't attack, it does nothing on its turn. Paralyzing ray, so it's DC 13 constitution saving throw or be paralyzed for one minute. The target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself on a success. Number three is the fear ray. The target must succeed on a DC 13 wisdom save or be frightened for one minute. The target can repeat the saving throw on the end of its turn um, with disadvantage if the spectator is visible to the target, ending the effect on itself with a success. And the final one, number four, is the wounding ray. It's a DC 13 constitution saving throw or it'll take 16 standard damage or 3d10 necrotic damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. What do you guys think about the rays? I like the wounding ray. You like the wounding ray? That's that's a neat take on it. It's it's different than your your like frost or lightning or it's but it's still yeah like it, it's it, it's a little different, right? It is. It's interesting, but I still don't think I'd use it for that. I don't know if you guys want to touch on like unique ideas right now. Or we should save it. No, for yeah, let, let, let's save we'll it save for, it for later then. But uh, but the wounding ray is good because it's different. But I like the fact that you can choose which ray you're going to use because now you can actually be strategic with this spectator. It's not just absolute chaos, uh, which kind of falls in with the fact that it's lawful neutral as well. Um, here's what, an well no, uh, what's interesting to me actually is the saves themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, Dave, the gazer had dexterity, constitution, and two wisdom. Correct. You, Terry, with the spectator, have two con and two wisdom? Two con, two wisdom, yeah. So who's... Who, sorry, sorry. It's two wisdom, a dex, and a strength. It's, 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 sorry, yeah, it's yeah. strength. So who's really, really good at fighting these guys? Yeah, I mean... Which, which class is going to be inherently good at this? Um, con and wisdom? Do you know what? You could do a good job with your rogues with this. If you can position yourself correctly. But they're they're pretty dexterous, right? So um, I'm thinking wisdom is, is clerics. Mm-hmm. It's monks. Monks would be really good against this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, paladins, of course, because all of their crazy save bullshit. Druids as well. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I feel like this thing is meant to wipe out barbarians. Yeah. The, and the wizards text, and whatnot, right? Like, your charisma casters, of which there are many in 5th edition, are kind of screwed against these guys. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is going to piss off your barbarian. Because this may be the first time, judging by the CR here, first time in the game where the Barbarian is, and I've said it before, I know a lot of people don't agree, is is not able to play the game on easy mode. Because they yeah. are now 
they're now not able to do what they can just always do because they can. Yeah, here's an interesting one. Create food and water. The spectator magically creates enough food and water to sustain itself for 24 hours. Does Do either of you know why that is the case? I figure that's from a mechanical standpoint, so you can just drop them in the middle of a dungeon right. and leave them, and you don't need to justify. So it's just two lines on the page in, you know, yep. size 8 just, font just, whatever. By the way, they can do this. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have dead spectators all over the place. <laughs> I would put these guys inside vaults. Mm-hmm. This is what makes them a good guardian, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's my meta reasoning for that. Uh, other than that, it would just be because they got summoned in with that ability. It's because they're wonderful hosts. Is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> well, I guess their job is literally just to be locked in vaults and tombs and stuff. Yeah. So that's, they're going to need to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so the reactions, they have spell reflection. I love this. If the spectator makes a successful saving throw against a spell or a spell attack misses it, the spectator can choose another creature, including the spellcaster. It can see within 30 feet of it. The spells, the spell targets the chosen creature instead of the spectator. If the spell forced a save throw, the chosen creature makes its own save. If the spell was an attack, the attack roll is re-rolled against the chosen creature. I like that. I love it. Yeah, that's that's fun. There's no central eye power for this guy. No, either. there's no central eye power at all. No, uh, I think I love him. I think you can be very tactical with them. I think you got to keep people thinking on their toes. Now, it's I think the side of it that we lose that I'm sad about in a way is the absolute chaos <laughs> that comes with them. But on the flip side, it means you get to enjoy a more strategic game as a DM with a with a beholder variant. So that's fun. I'm sitting here looking at what you guys have talked about, whether it's the Dazing Ray, the Fear Ray, and the Telekinetic Ray for the Gazer, and the Spectator has, just had it a second ago, Confusion, Paralyzing, and Fear. This wipes out Barbarian Rages. Yeah. Barbarians are not only not playing on easy mode, they don't get their Rages. They will waste them over and over. I'm going to Rage, and then they're ineffective the next round, or they're pushed further away and they can't get to the enemy to attack, right? Yeah. And the wonderful thing about the telekinetic rays is that you don't have to hurt them. They may not take damage on that round, right? So you can really fuck with barbarians specifically Yeah. with this, which is a lot of fun. And I know that we were talking before about how beholder types are so intelligent that they can come up with different situations. And like statistically, they're not like academically intelligent. It's almost as though, I don't know, I kind of imagine it as though they can see so many like, the entire multiverse happening all at the same time. It's Doctor Strange at the end right. of Infinity War, right? It's not that they're academically intelligent. It's like it's just almost like they can see every possibility. So yeah. I kind of see it as being different. Okay. Let me talk about Beholders for a minute, all right? Sure. The Beholder proper is large, um, and it is lawful evil, which surprises me. Because with the chaos of the rays, I always think of them as chaotic. Yeah. Um, it, they've always been lawful in every edition. It surprises me every time I read it though. Their AC is 18 and they've got 180 hit points standard. Although obviously a lot more when you max it out. Their fly speed is only 20 feet. It's less than the little guys. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, they're significantly larger, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, their strength is average. Their dex is 14. Con is 18. Intelligence is 17. And Wisdom is 15 and Charisma is 17 as well. They've got saves against magic shit. And you're not going to hit them with with constitution saves. Right? Um, they also have a plus 8 
to intelligence for the saving throw, plus seven to wisdom, and plus eight to charisma. So they're really laughing when it comes to a, a battle of slinging spells and spell-like effects. They get a plus 12 to perception. They're immune to being prone. Their dark vision is 120 feet, and their passive perception is 22. You're not going to sneak up on these guys. Yeah. They have deep speech and undercommon. And undercommon, I guess they're just given because they're usually found in the underdark. There's a lot of them down there. Um, but no telepathy for these guys. Now, here's where we get the anti-magic cone. The Beholder Central Eye creates an area of anti-magic, as in the anti-magic field spell, in a 150-foot cone. So that's huge. At the start of each of its turns, the Beholder decides which way the cone is facing and whether the cone is active. Remember, it's at the beginning of the turn, so you have to commit. Before you even roll the rest of the eye uh, stocks and, the, and whatnot, you have to roll this. Now, do you think for players, this is a good idea to hide within it? To hide within the anti-magic field? Yeah. Because then they can't be hit with the rays? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... It all depends on what's going on on the board. It, I think it could be a good idea at the right time, yeah. It depends on the player. If your idea is you want to sit back and throw... If you're, if you're a ranger. If you're shooting. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, this is going to interrupt your concentration spells too. So this is going to wipe out your hunter's mark or your hex or anything. <clears throat> Dan, cut the last bit out. Here we go. So the other fun thing about the anti-magic field is that um, because it, it operates like the spell, here's what it says for magic items... The properties and powers of magic items are suppressed. For example, a plus one longsword in the sphere um, functions as a non-magical longsword. Oh. when So when you're in the cone, when it looks at you, all of your magic items go away. So it loses its plus one. Yeah. A magic weapon's properties and powers are suppressed if it is used against a target uh, or wielded by an attacker within the range. If a magic weapon or piece of magic ammunition fully leaves the area... Um, the magic of the item ceases to be suppressed as soon as it exits. Right. So if you shoot an arrow out, even though it's a magical arrow, it will do nothing inside the anti-magic cone. But once it gets beyond it, the magic will kick in again. Hmm. So it doesn't delete it. You're not dispelling the magic, you're just suppressing it. Spells and magical effects such as dispel magic uh, doesn't have any effect in here. A creature or object summoned or created by magic temporarily winks out of existence in the sphere. Such a creature instantly reappears once a space the creature occupied is no longer within the sphere. So if you change that to cone for, for the beholder, as it looks around and it would see something like uh, your your phantom steed, right? Your phantom steed will disappear. And then when it looks somewhere else, it'll pop back up again. It just looks at you and you just fall off your horse. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly there's no horse there anymore. Yeah. So it doesn't answer, do potions work? I would say no. Potions are not alchemical, they're magical. Yeah, I would say, that's right. And I think as the DM, we have to be very specific on whether or not it is alchemical, whether whether this is just because of a, a, like a mundane natural property that you've discovered, or whether it is arcane. I look at it this way, I wouldn't let a potion of enlarge work, so why would I let a potion of regain hit points work? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Dave, how do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, in theory, I like the sound of it, but I would never do that to my players. That's just asking for trouble. That's being aggressive. I would let them know ahead of time that that's the case. Sure, I guess, but I'm a fan of always giving them an out. 
Really? Yeah, but that out is retreat when it comes uh, to Beholder. You and Dan should play in the same game forever and never die. <laughs> That's just a freaking circle jerk. It's not what I'm in for. I think I... Well, I need realism in my fantasy horror. <laughs> I do, though. <laughs> um, Alright, so let's get into some of the crazy shit I can do. Starting off with the... Are you ready for this? Bite. Oh, oh. Plus five to hit, five feet uh, reach, and one target, 46 piercing damage. I mean, why not if they're there? Sure. I have four <laughs> D6s. Nothing at CR 13, but, I mean, hell, you're going to take a chunk out of someone, mm -hmm. especially if it's a lowly wizard with not enough hit points mm -hmm. sitting in your anti-magic field. If I'm prone, can I move through its space because I crawl underneath it? I would absolutely say yes. Yeah. I would all... Sure. Do you think a beholder... Where does a beholder keep its internal organs? I'm asking because I'm leading up to the anus because we're crawling underneath. <laughs> Internally. Internally, right. Okay, but I mean, if they've got this big-ass brain, you know that optic nerve has got to be huge, mm -hmm. right? You see the death tyrant skull. Where are the lungs and heart and everything? Or is it just an aberration doesn't have that shit? Does it breathe? Does it? I'm asking. How, how do you guys... It, it does not say. It will tell you in other stat blocks this creature does not require food, air, or water. It I would doesn't say, say that if here. it speaks, it breathes. I would say so, which means where's its vocal cords? Not necessarily. A Warforged speaks but doesn't breathe. They do breathe in 5th edition. They're humanoids now. They're not constructs anymore. I want to see an anatomical diagram of a beholder. Well, like what's going on within the skull? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I like the idea of having a very tiny brain on the inside in actuality. And everything else is just like... Like a Jammed liver. It around it. It's yeah. got like six kidneys. Yeah, because why not? Yeah, absolutely. Like organs it doesn't need anymore. Yeah. It's just like it just wrapped in intestine all the way around so it can never get in a, a concussion, right? Mm -hmm. So. Anyways, let's get into the eye rays. It shoots three of the following magical eye rays at random. Reroll duplicates specifically. Right. So you do not shoot the same one twice. It shoots, uh, it chooses one, two, three targets it can see within 120 feet of it. It does say in Volos that you can choose to hit one target, and if you do something like put it to sleep and you you take it out of combat, you can then choose to target other people. So you don't have to commit to the targets ahead of time, but you do commit to the eye rays. Right. And you said it fires three? Three. Three. That's so um, now this is a DC 16 saving throw on each one of them. All right. So uh, we can get rid of that right away. DC 16... For a CR-13 is, you know, that that's about right. Yeah, tough, not impossible. The first one is Charm, um, and it requires a Wisdom save, or be Charmed by the Beholder for one hour, or until the Beholder harms the creature, which means minions can still hit it, and it won't break the Charm. That's fucking deadly. Yeah. Two is paralyzing. The target creature must succeed on a con save or be paralyzed for one minute. You can repeat the saving throw at the end of your turn. You notice how you couldn't repeat it for the charm? Do you roll what the ray is going to be before or after you select the target? I do it beforehand. Uh, I roll all three rays ahead of time. Right. Um, because the action is shoots three of the falling magical eye rays at random and then it says choosing one to three targets. And because in Volos it says you can change your target... You would know what the things are first, right. so I'm gonna load up the most, the deadliest one first on the on who I want, and then hammer that person until they're ineffectual, and then move on to the next person. Right. 
Um, Fear Ray is number three, which means that you need a wisdom save or you're frightened for a minute. They can repeat at the end of every turn. So that's pretty standard. Um, Now, the Fear Ray for the Gazer is the same, except it just only lasts one turn. So it's a limited version, right? Yeah, until the Gazer's next turn. Yeah, so this one is for a minute. So um, there's a Slowing Ray. Target must succeed on a, a Dexterity save. On a failed save, the target's speed is halved for one minute. In addition, the creature can't take reactions, and it can take neither and it and it can take either an action or a bonus action on its turn, not both. You can repeat the saving throw at the end of the of the turn. Next is the Enervation Ray. They got to make a con save, or you take eight d eight necrotic damage, or half as much on a success. Telekinesis is the same thing, um, except it's the same as the Gazer, you know, moved up to 30 feet. This one is a strength save as well, but it is restrained by the Ray's telekinetic grip until the start of the Beholder's next turn or until the Beholder's incapacitated. So they can push you up against the wall and keep you there. Yep. Or they can lift you up into the air and hold you. Mm -hmm. Um, If the target is an object weighing 300 pounds or less... Uh, that isn't being worn or carried, it is moved up to 30 feet in any direction. The Beholder can also exert fine control on objects with his ray, such as manipulating simple tool or opening a door or a container. So the same thing that the Gazer could do. Uh, Sleep Ray. So this is a wisdom save uh, or fall asleep and remain unconscious for one minute. The target awakens if it takes damage or another creature takes an action to wake it. This ray has no effect on constructs or undead. So that one is not a repeat saving throw. They will put you to sleep. The sleep spell is pretty fucking useless in 5th edition. It should be this. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This is where it starts to get a little fucky. Petrification Ray. The targeted creature must make a DC 16 dexterity saving throw. On its failed save, the creature begins to turn to stone and is restrained. All that means is you don't move. It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn, and on a success, the effect ends. But on a failure, the creature is petrified until freed by the Greater Restoration spell or other magic. So you get turned to stone. Disintegration Ray is number nine. The target is a creature. It must succeed on its dex save or take 10d8 force damage. If this damage reduces the creature to zero hit points, its body becomes a pile of fine gray dust. If the target is a large or smaller non-magical object or creation of magical force, it is disintegrated without a saving throw. If the target is a huge or larger object or creation of magical force, the ray disintegrates a 10-foot cube of it. The first character I ever played in 5th edition had disintegrate cast on him, and he just went poof. Did he? Yeah, very first one. My dragonborn paladin, whose name was Rogren. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, the we... Entered a mind flare like area. Thanos style. Uh, no, I, I was a red dragonborn, so I lit his books on fire, and he's all like, Fuck you! and I just went poof, gone. Yikes, so, yeah, no, disintegrate. I love it, that's great. I love yes, and what was it 8d or 10d8? Uh, yeah, 10d8. Like, that's that's gonna that's kill gonna just hurt. about everything at CR 13. Yeah, your your fighters, your your front row, your martial guys are gonna. Take a couple of those hits before they go, but your sorcerer's in trouble. 
Oh yeah, big the time. fact that there's three and you can't repeat, like you re-roll duplicates, you're getting hit with something hard on every round. Somebody's getting hit with something. This is one of the handful of times that I wish that they had a different CR for the different number of people in the party. Yeah. Because if there are three people in the party, everyone's going to get something targeted at them every time. But if there's five, you're 60% of the time. This right? is this is the conversation you have with your party where you go, look, we're at a level where we are able to beat this thing, but chances are one of us is not coming out. Yeah. Um, the last one, of course, is the death ray. And this one is simply a deck save or 10d10 necrotic damage. The target dies if you are reduced to zero hit points. With the disintegration ray and the death ray, there is no death save. If you get to zero, you're done. Yeah. And with the disintegration ray, a lot of the times you need a piece of the body part to bring them back to life. So there's not even a resurrection that can be had. Yeah. No, it's... Like, looking at these rays here, the problem is it's very, very hard to work together because everybody's dealing with different bullshit. You got you, you got the wizard over there getting disintegrated at the same time as the cleric's being petrified. The uh, the barbarians receiving a telekinetic ray so they can't get involved. Everybody's trying to use their turn to react to some other bullshit. So it stops you from working together. And it gets worse because the Beholder has three legendary actions. Now, it has to use an eye ray. So it just uses one at random. You roll a d10. You have to use it at the end of someone else's turn. You can only use one uh, at a time. So if there's only two people in the party, for example, I mean, you're fucked. Yeah. But if there's only two people in the party, only two of these legendary reactions can be used. You don't get all three because there's only two people that are done. Um, and it is specifically at the end of another creature's turn. You do not get to stack one on the end of the beholder's turn. Yeah. Okay. I have... Made that mistake. I have whooped a party something fierce with that. <laughs> um, but that means that you're getting potentially six of these off. Every <laughs> round. Six I mean, rays. I mean, me just thinking tactically, I would just burn all three of those legendary actions from the first three. Like, it's top of the round, first three players. Pop, pop, pop. Give the, now you've got to... Yeah, why not? your entire round is fucked because you're reacting to this extra bullshit. Yeah, why not? I, I would... And I would be targeting the people... Because you can choose a target. Target the people that have not gone yet in initiative. Yeah. Right? Really fuck their world up. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the craziness that comes with Beholders. How do you guys feel now about these three creatures? Before we jump to a break, how do, you, how do we feel? Are Beholders, like the Beholder subtype, is this something that is punching above its weight class? Is it flavorful enough that it should be in most campaigns? How do we how do we feel in general? But let's let's roll. Sure. Fifteen for me. I got a, I'm going last with a thirteen. Dave, you got a seventeen. A seventeen. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing I liked about all three of these is that they can all be used very differently, right? It's very eclectic. So, I mean, yeah. How could you not want to use these things, right? Like you've got a big bad boss for a you know tier three if you got a couple of them. Right. Well, one of these guys is a tier three boss, right? Right. So I mean, and then the the spectator, you've got your guardian uh, that's going to reveal secrets. You've got these annoying little gazers that are just running around. Plus, there's other kinds of beholders you can throw in as well. You could just do a, you know, beholder campaign, right? Yeah. There's yeah, enough I, options there. Yeah, I think I 
I like them all for different reasons as well. I like just very quickly for the gazer. I like them for more uh, creating, uh, for more creativity during the exploration part of your game. You're going round, you're in your dungeon. Funny things are happening. It's the, the role gazer. play pillar. But I like the spectator as in an encounter with that. The spectator is not the real enemy. I would have the spectator as the real thing that you're trying to deal with is the fact of the puzzle would be, I, I imagine like um, the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin. Everything's falling down. You've got to get everybody out of there within five rounds. But this dickhead's firing off rays all the time. You can't move. This guy's flying over here. So it's not that you're trying to kill the spectator. He's just stopping you from achieving what you're trying to achieve. I also really like that for the idea that he's just, he's the one that asks the riddle. Yeah. Right? Or Or spectators are perfect for saying... Well, if you answer my riddle, then then you have free passage. And there are three giant statues in the next room that are going to come to life if you get it wrong. Yeah. Right? And so you never fight the spectator. Right? I, I like that. He's, he's defensive only. Yes. But what I love about the Beholder is that is the one that you want to be in the game. And, and, and full power... Beholder proper, I want the satisfaction of knowing I can say to my friends, I fought a Beholder of full power, Beholder proper, and I beat it, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to do that again. That's like the ultimate trophy. That, in a way, is better than beating the Ancient Red for me. So, I mean... Achievement unlocked. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was going to get into this in the next Beholder episode, but one of the things that they talk about is the trophies that they keep. Um, and one of the things that they keep is parts of other beholders. Yeah. So I can picture them holding on to like eye stalks stapled to the wall or... Or to themselves, like just make it look like they've got more than they actually do. <laughs> um, but also like petrified sections of them, right? They disintegrate a portion of them, petrify the rest, and then put a third of a beholder statue in the corner of, the, of their lair. Like you can get really weird and fucky with beholders. I don't know, man. I love absolutely every one of these. That's really interesting because if they've got one that's petrified, if you come in and you see it and you're, you know, in a confrontation with the other one, you just greater restoration that beholder and now they're fighting each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and now it's a bigger threat than you are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's that's interesting. You can use that as the, the smart way to get through an encounter, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So let's jump to a quick shout out and then um, I want to go over some of the alternative variants to what these uh these irays can do and then i want to talk about our own unique personal encounter that we would do for each one that we've come up with sure hey guys it's adam again i wanted to kind of drop a little note in your ear most of you will already know this but for those of you who don't that are interested in dming or just making your new original content maybe you've got a great homebrew idea something that you implement in your games all the time and you just want to see how other people are doing it, head over to DMs Guild. DMs Guild is an online repository, of, not suppository, calm down Terry, a repository of a bunch of Dungeons & Dragons material that other people, third parties, are publishing. Wizards supports it. It's not official, but some of it is very, very, very good. There are some official materials that are available on it, and there are things that they've kind of adopted as semi-official as well. Uh, and there are some really cool things out there that people are putting up. A lot of different smaller modules and campaigns. If you ever saw, sat there and thought to yourself, hey, how come we never got this kind of campaign? I bet there's something like that on DM's Guild. A lot of it you got to pay for, but it's cheap. And you get the full PDF. 
and there's also a lot of free information on there as well. A lot of it for a limited time. They cycle through free things all the time. Go check it out. It's a great resource beyond just the standard unearthed arcana. So go look into it, have fun, and use your common sense because all of it needs to be taken with a grain of salt. It is homebrew and not play tested, but it's a great opportunity for you to find inspiration. Again, that's www.dmsguild.com. Now, let's get back to the regular conversation. All right, so let's go through this really quickly. Um, remember, DC 16 saves on these, right? Um, Terry, and I can see that you've got the Beholder open, so I'm going to ask you which uh, which uh, number it is on the list as I go through these because sure. they're in alphabetical order here. So um, for the Anti-Magic Cone, before we, we do that, if you don't like it, you can do Mirage Arcane, which is the ability to turn the entire terrain into some hallucinatory crazy bullshit um or power word stun Ooh. affecting only the weakest non-stun target in the cone each round what do they mean by weakest lowest hit points uh, i would say yeah lowest hit points so power word stun that's instead of anti-magic how do you feel about that um, or the hallucinatory terrain. Do you guys like those? I like the hallucinatory terrain. I probably wouldn't use power word stun. I'm probably. I think the other way around. I would use power word stun and not the terrain. I don't like keeping track of that kind of thing. But to take somebody and stun them right away. Oh yeah, no, no. That's... Dave likes his D and D in open meadows at 17 degrees and a two o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. A well swept stone floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, gray. Exactly. Um. Okay, so for the Charm Ray, which number is this? Charm Ray is number one. That was easy. Uh, banishment for one minute. So instead of charming, you just kick them to another realm for one minute, and then they come back. Or Confusion for one minute. Uh, you probably guessed this already for me. I'd use Confusion. Yeah. Oh, I'd kick somebody away. That's that's even better. Oh, that's an for, Yeah, for a full minute, too. That's... That is a great way. If you can hit this one, if you can roll it over and over again, and you have a decent chance of doing that. Yeah. You could knock the whole party out until there's one guy left and fuck them up. This is why it's rough. Because five minutes ago, I was like, my ambition would be to fight this. I love this. Love that. You've been waiting all week for this. Then you get fucked up <laughs> for an hour real time. You're like, great. Yeah. So, so far, though, I've now stunned that guy and banished that guy. And, and yeah. Like, these these can be way deadlier, right? I'm ramping up the CR with this. Mm-hmm. Um Instead of Death Ray, there's Circle of Death. So number 10. Yeah, which is a 10-foot radius sphere that is 4d6 necrotic damage to all creatures in the area. It's a little light. But it's a 10-foot radius, so it's a 20-foot sphere. You can hit the whole party for 4d6. Yeah, it still seems a little light at CR 13. Or Feeble Mind. Mm. Feeble Mind is, is nasty. That's the one that drops you down to be an idiot. I'd probably use Feeble Mind, because I think I agree with Dave. You'd be like, ah, oh, well, it's shit that it, they hit everybody, but also it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably just stick with the original Death Ray. Because, I mean, what, 10d10? Yeah. You can't do, it doesn't do more damage than that. Yeah, you can't go right? wrong with Death Ray. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, um, for the Disintegration Ray, which one is this? Nine. Um, chain Lightning, where the primary target takes 68 lightning damage, and two secondary targets within 30 feet of the primary one Takes 3d8 lightning damage each. I love chain lightning, but the idea of disintegration ray is more terrifying. 
Yeah, because you don't have the resurrection. Yeah. The other option is eye bite, which is one minute of that sickened effect that comes with eye bite. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I disintegration rate is just too. It's just too attractive. It's, yeah. It but, is. Maybe I would hit with the chain lightning a couple of times and weaken them, and then hit them with the. Well, you would replace that eye stock with I, this one. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, the next one is enervation ray. Where Ooh, that's number five. Yeah, and this is this one just does a bunch of damage, right? Yeah, that's right. Instead, you can create undead, and it's usable regardless of the time of day. So, if you kill someone with the death ray, you can then bring them back as a zombie the next round, or polymorph for one minute. Oh, God. Isn't that fun? I like the polymorph. The polymorph is, and you're a frog, and you're a snail, and you're Dan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Oh, my God. I would turn my players into the actual versions of themselves in the game. That's not fair to some of your players. <laughs> I polymorphed you into commoner. <laughs> you, you have been polymorphed into nerd. Um, how, do, how do we like those? Create Undead? Create Undead's fun. You said that, and Terry and I both went, oh? Yeah. And like, our heads came up, yeah, and we yeah. said, oh, yeah. Because okay. it's interesting, right? Paul, I mean, Polymorph can be very interesting, but it's a, it, it's also a little bit predictable about what you're most likely going to do tactically. Um, but uh, Create I need, Undead. I need to have some corpses around before this fight starts, so that if I roll this before I drop a player, I can raise a zombie. Yeah. Right, that, that's the only caveat there. You should be able to have some as a beholder. And, oh, I think so. And yeah. I agree with having corpses all over dungeons, because I don't know why our parties are always the first people to get there and none of the traps have ever been set off. So, <laughs> well, that, that's true, yeah. Um, the next one is the Fear Ray. Instead, they can use gaseous form on themselves or another willing creature where they can just turn to mist. Okay, this is that, number three. This is that really annoying vampire bullshit that they can do. Um, or they get Moonbeam. And do you guys remember, Moonbeam is like legit weirdly powerful. It, it does a bunch of damage and it fucks with lycanthropes. I would only use Gaseous Forum if it needs to get away. Well, it you can't control it. What that does is it means that you can't take damage for a round, right? Sure, but I would still input, like I would still plug this one into one that isn't necessarily supposed to be killed. Because, you know, sometimes you get your guys to go up against not just something they're supposed to murder, but something that they're supposed to maybe talk their way through. Yeah. Or, you know, this would be some a, a piece that I would use as a DM to... I've given, up, I've given up on putting NPCs in there that they're just supposed to talk to. Oh, yeah, yeah they just <laughs> kill, right? Yeah, there's always a backup plan. They come up with that one person that they like and that they would be absolutely terrified or destroyed inside right. if something bad happened to them, and then they just murder the rest. Right. You know? I really like Gash's form because they can turn their minions into gas and then they can sit there and the rest of the battlefield can have this stinking, gross cloud. And as your guys are in there breathing and it's hard to breathe and they're breathing this really nasty thing and then all of a sudden a cobalt materializes in their lungs. That is so you as well. <laughs> Yay! Make a con save, bitch. DC 50. Paralyzing Ray. Number two. Modify Memory. Or silence for one minute. Ooh, silence oh, silence is fucking silence. I like, I like my, I like my silence. 
I like my silence. Not me, myself. I can't shut up. But <laughs> We know, Terry. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm on a podcast. <laughs> but Modify Memory, Dave, you like that one? Yeah, it just allows you to do a couple more things. Just to confuse them even more within the... You're adding a role play level to this combat as well. which Exactly, is yeah. Do we like it better, though, than Paralyzing? Um, it's... It, I think it could be... you got to choose your party with this. Yeah. Because some people are going to be okay with Paralyzing Ray, but a lot of people, they're, they're not. If they want to get involved, at least modify memory, they're still involved. Yeah, that's fair. Um, petrification Ray. Number eight. Otto's Irresistible Dance for one minute. Okay. Or Wall of Ice in one 10-foot square panel for one minute. Yeah, Wall of Ice. Fuck with the terrain. Oh, make him dance. Put him on the back foot. Make him dance. Make him dance. Nah, Wall of Ice for me. Uh, Sleep Ray. Which number is that? Sleep Ray was number seven. Blindness, deafness, or Misty Step for themselves or a willing creature? Misty Step. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I really like the Sleep Ray mechanic, though, for these guys, because it's, it's shitty. Misty Step because... You will have already had to decide which way you're facing the um, the beholder. So the idea of he now faces the other way, opposite you. And everyone's like, why? It's because you have to prep for that misty step <laughs> yeah. later on. Yeah, okay. Um, slowing Ray would be bestow curse for one minute or sleet storm for one 10-foot cube. Uh, I like bestow curse. Yeah, it's good. It's simple. It, I like it. And for one minute, too, that's going to last all the combat, right? Every time that I've been saying one minute, I'm like, that's the rest of this battle. Yeah, essentially. Unless yeah. you fucking retreat. And the last one is Telekinesis Ray gives you um, Gesh or for one hour or Wall of Force for one minute and another 10-foot square panel. <laughs> um, Not today. Gesh is you place a magical command on a creature that you can see within range, forcing it to carry out some service or refrain from some action or course of activity as you decide. So you could say, don't attack me. If the creature can understand you, it must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or become charmed for you or become charmed by you for the duration. In this case, for one minute. While the creature is charmed by you, it, can, it takes 5d10 psychic damage each time it acts in a manner directly counter to your instructions, but no more than once each day. A creature that can't understand you is unaffected by the spell. You're speaking under common and deep speech. How many of your guys speak it? Uh, tele uh, doesn't have telepathy. No, it doesn't. So I mean, you're hitting your drow with this, and only I don't think I would use this. Not unless I'm going to give him common. That's that's an interesting thing to remember because I would have forgotten that prepping yeah. for this game. And you can't you can't use Gesh to make someone um, suicidal or do anything to harm themselves, right? So um, that's funny. Yeah, you can't even talk to this fucking thing. Yeah, well, I, I really like I really like beholders. I wish you could you could communicate with them. I wish it was just that little bit easier. I like the idea now that I say that out loud of having there be a a little advisor that translates. Oh yeah, kind of like a C three PO for Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. So, how do you feel about these alternative rays? Some of them are very good. Some of them I wouldn't bother with. Um. But it all, it, it depends on the situation, right? It depends on party politics and, and who, who you have, really. Mm -hmm. um, but because th that's what's great about them, though, is you can kind of cherry pick it. 
yeah. to fit whatever you're doing. Right? Exactly. Because even though you're trying to make it challenging, you're also trying to make it fun for them. Like, what are they going to enjoy having to deal with? You know, some people don't want petrification and, and, and paralyzation. <laughs> Paralysis. There it uh, is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I also really like the idea of you creating a hive and then just rolling a D6, but you split it up so it's a D3 mm-hmm. to find out which one of the regular ones you're... Which one for the, let's say, paralysis, the paralyzing ray, which one am I doing for number two? Is it going to be this one, this one, or this one? Right? And you, I don't know, roll a D10 at the beginning to see how many you're replacing, and you roll through to see which ones you're doing, and you do it for 10 different beholders. Yeah. Each one is going to be radically different. And depending on what you get, you can color them and flavor them differently and give them different colored eyes and longer eye stalks and that kind of crazy shit. Yeah, I think you can, because of the colors of the eyes and stuff, you can um, you can lay out clues throughout the layer as well about what each eye stalk may do. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to get into, now that we've gone through kind of like what, what they are from a basic standpoint, before we get into the uh, our uses, our own unique encounters, I want to go through what Volos has to say about each one of the eye rays because it's more than just the attack. Um, for the charm ray, it's common for a beholder to charm a hostile monster, lure the creature to the beholder's lair, and confine it there so it can't escape under its own power. So it's doing this on purpose. This is outside of combat. I feel like it can use these things specifically, right? But in combat, just to make it more random and fair, you you have to roll randomly, uh, well, like three d ten, right, to right. figure it out. Yeah, but. Beholders luring people in using a charm ray. That's pretty fun. I didn't expect to see that level of intelligence and scheming. Uh, despite all the stuff I said at the beginning with the, like, oh, they're always plotting and they're paranoid and everything. The idea that they're smart enough to really lure people into their own lair yeah. is is really interesting and different. Especially when you think about the idea that these guys often live in sewers and caverns and stuff. So an eye stock can peek out around the corner and hit someone. Yeah, I like it. Um, although it says, although the use of the charm effect lasts only an hour, repeated uses over time against the same target tend to wear down a creature's will, creating a docile servant. So there's no mechanic for that, but you can eventually brainwash the mayor with the beholder. For the paralyzing ray outside of combat, it's most often used to restrain a fleeing minion that doesn't want to be destroyed outright. Um, Which, I do like the idea that these guys are just crazy, paranoid against their own minions, and they will just kill you. You you ever see those, those movies or the TV shows where you're like, why would you ever work for that psychopath? Yeah. I feel like that that's the case with the Beholder. Like, why would you ever do that? Yeah. Oh, it's because you've been brainwashed or you've been subjugated somehow, but you're still waiting for your, your time to get out because he does just get angry and kill minion number 46 at, yeah. at a whim, right? So for Fear Ray, uh, they use the Fear Ray to psychologically torture and interrogate prisoners until the creature loses their will to resist. It's pretty dark, isn't it? That's, that's the Terry Ray so yeah. far. Um, the slowing ray, they might use a slowing ray on an uncooperative creature, such as a, um, or as a demonstration of sorts, threatening to follow it up with a more severe consequence. So that's, I don't know, pretty standard. It's not much you can do with slowing. It's like, uh, it's like an escalation technique. 
Yeah. Uh, Death Ray and Enervation Ray are really the same because they just do a shit ton of damage. Yeah. Um, they can fine-tune its Death Ray or Enervation Ray so that it can zap the smallest of targets and deal only a small amount of damage. For example, to guard against magical spying, a Beholder might use either Ray to eliminate all common vermin, like bats, rats, spiders, and so on, from its lair. There's so much to do with the Telekinetic Ray. I mean, setting up traps, and my favorite thing to do is... Uh, is pick up a boulder and move it over top of your anti-magic field and then drop it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, it can also forcibly transport a creature that is immune to the charm effects, so it can still use a telekinetic ray to kidnap people. Um, sleep ray is pretty straightforward, but it says that it wants to specifically target the leader. Which makes me think that I'm going to use this guy to hit Battlemasters. Right? The people that can control the terrain. Um, wizards are usually... Uh, bards as well. These guys are usually the face of the party. Whoever's going to walk in first. Yeah. I don't think they're too worried about the monk or the rogue right away. Especially because these guys can hover. Right? And that's another thing about the lair. I'm always going to put these guys 60 feet up in the middle of a giant room. I like that you just got me thinking there. Put the guy to sleep who's the guy where he's like, okay, let me do the talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he walk in, poof, enough from that guy. Yeah. Now everybody else has got to go, but that wasn't the plan. Yeah. Um, for the petrification ray, um, the most mundane function of this is a means of decorating a beholder's lair with statues. It says it right in here. Uh, beyond that, the ray is a multitude of uses. An unruly minion could be turned to stone, eliminating the creature as a threat. And creating a permanent reminder of the price of disobeying the beholder. A beholder might use loosely scattered petrified creatures to create obstacles in an open chamber or pack them tightly in a corridor to seal off an area or use them as falling hazards. Ah, oh, now he's not dropping boulders, he's dropping horses. Sure. I like it. Um, and then disintegration ray. This is used for tunneling. Um, okay. Boring holes and... Um, like we're going to talk about in the next episode, they do think vertically. Yeah. So uh, I like the idea that they're going to use their disintegration rate to really move around and and create exactly the layer that they want. Hey, if you've got a 3D chessboard, go nuts. Also, I'm going to wipe out pillars and bring a cave. I'm going to cave in a roof. Yeah. Smart. So unique set piece encounters or ideas. Do you guys want to roll for this one? Sure. Okay, let's grab our dice. Sure. And let's uh, let's go through our own unique encounters for hours. I got a 10. 18. Man, we're rolling high today. 17? 17, yeah, 17 Dave. Dave. All right, Terry, you're up. What do you got? Dave, you said it earlier, and I didn't want to talk about it, and I'm glad we moved on. <laughs> the the encounter is, is, is not what you expected it to be. Okay, you talk to the mayor or whatever they say. Go and do this. You'll be in and out. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Don't worry about this simple dungeon until you get there. And it's two beholders because they hate each other. Maybe one's dreamed the other one into existence or whatever. And the puzzle suddenly becomes there's two beholders fighting and you can't do what you need to do because they're causing absolute chaos. They're like, and it, there may be like lulls in the battle. They come across each other, boom, 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 rays are going off and then the one will retreat or they'll move away. They'll work on their strategy. So every, this simple thing that you're trying to achieve has been made very difficult because there's two beholders that are not interested in you, but are interested in killing each other. And it, it can still be done as a low level thing because they're not actively trying to kill you. You just have to avoid 
them. You know, you just have to avoid them kill while they're killing each other. I like the idea of there being one of however many IRAs they're they're using goes wild and may hit one of the party members. Yes. So you as a DM are rolling to see which party member is being hit. Mm-hmm. So you make your own little D4, D5 table, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And then you you roll a die for it. You're like, oh, uh, and this one just the sleep ray goes wild and aims nearly hits the wizard roll. Yeah. Roll your save, right? So I think that's that could be a lot of fun, especially when these two are battling to the death. Yeah, and that's really what I'm trying to bring into my games as well. Was it's not always about your party, and and that comes for anything like random encounters. You why you may not necessarily come across an ogre who, for whatever reason, wants to kill you. You may come across one who's in the middle of trying to kill something else. Mm-hmm. Who's in there? Is somebody else's battle or some something which is hunting something else? And I'm trying to put much more of that. In my games now. No, I like that. That's yeah. cool. There's other people in the world. It's not all about you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of having just a beholder kin campaign. That is your mission. Maybe you work for a guy that wants one of each skull. And he can use it to do whatever he wants yeah. to do or whatever. But there's enough variety here that you could have a big bad at every tier. Yeah. And stuff in the middle. I mean, you can dumb these down a little bit. You can strengthen others a little bit. Uh, you can just kind of make them have to crawl through and maybe collect each and every one. The whole time, these little gazers are are just like floating around, being annoying and mocking them. And they're the hardest one to get, right? Because yeah. they're just, they're aggressive. They're flying all over. They're up. They're gone. You just can't hit them. Yeah. You know, you like they're the weakest butt, you know. and um, They're the weakest butt? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, you, you could you, work for different beholders at the same time. I wouldn't advise it. Well, <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. But each one has its own distinct flavor that you can kind of get different things while keeping the same theme. Yeah. And the one thing I like when I make campaigns is grab a theme for monsters and stick with it. Uh, I know, Adam, you and I did one in Aberon where it was all giants, 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 giants. And yeah. it was just changing the kind of giant over and over. Again. I like that as well. And I, I think you could really do this with the beholder. And that's what I... That's what I appreciate about them. I like it, Dave. <laughs> yeah. All right, hold on. I got to look up. There was something that I ran across months ago that just occurred to me now. That's a fancy man- monster manual, isn't it? It is. It's all shiny because it came God, in. They the... know how to fucking get nerds, man, these people. Well, it came in that really special box set. Look, they know how to get us. They make it a little bit shiny. They whack the word limited edition on it, even though there's 50,000 and everybody buys it. Do you like a big eye on your beholders, Dave, or a little eye? Oh, big. It's got to be intimidating. It's got to be uh, yeah. a, a vertical slit eye kind of thing. Yeah. Or maybe have like a strange Like a glow reptilian type eye? Maybe. Depends on the kind of beholder. Uh, maybe one with like the small, tiny little dot pupil, but all of these colors going on around it. Like you could, this is where you're, you're not just going to say, oh, and the beholder has four eyes and its skin is gray. And no, no, you could like get into some detail here. Yeah. And then, you know, they're they're chasing after a beholder and it comes across they come across a bunch of other beholders mm-hmm. but this one's got that little blue speck in its iris yeah. you know like there's yeah you can you got it's got to be big are beholders because they dream each other in reality they are they subject to sex is there male and female beholders i don't think so yeah. i think they're they're gender honestly anything that comes from the from the far realms in my opinion with the exception of maybe mind flayers yeah. are Gender neutral. Yeah. Because they, uh, or they've got seven genders. 
Like, it doesn't fucking matter. Right. Right. Like, they're or not even seven genders. Seven physical sexes. Because they're right? working with completely different logic to us. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, check this out. Considering radically different logic. I ran across this in the Monster Manual months ago. Under Fungi. In the Underdark, there are gas spores. The first gas spores are thought to have been spawned from dead beholders whose moldering corpses fed a parasitic fungus with aberrant magic. Having long since adapted to a unique plant creature, a gas spore grows quickly and purposefully out of any corpse, creating a malevolent-looking mockery of the most feared denizen of the Underdark, the Beholder. Which means these things sit there and float, and they look like beholders, but they're just fungus. They've got... They're round, they're spherical, they hover in the air, and they've got a giant eye in the middle of them. Oh, so this is how you raise the party's anxiety. Yes. Yeah, they got to walk through a cavern full of these things looking at them. A gas spore is a spherical, balloon-like fungus that resembles a beholder from a distance, although its true nature becomes increasingly obvious as one approaches it. The monster possesses a blind central eye um, and uh, rhizome growths sprouting from its upper surface which are essentially mushroom-looking things that look like eye stalks. Right. Um, they have death burst. Its hollow shell is filled with a lighter-than-air gas that enables it to float, as a beholder does. Piercing the shell with even the weakest attack causes the creature to burst open, releasing a cloud of deadly spores. A creature that inhales the spores becomes host to them and is often dead within a day. Its corpse then becomes the spawning ground from which new gas spores arise. Well, that's terrifying. A gas spore that sprouts from Beholder's corpse sometimes carries within its memories of the deceased parent. When the gas spore explodes, its deadly spores cast those memories adrift, and any creature that inhales the spores and survives inherits one or more of the Beholder's fragmented memories and might gain useful information about the Beholder's former lair and other nearby places and creatures of interest. Here's the mechanics. This thing is a CR half. It's got five hit points, or sorry, one hit point and AC of five. If you bump it, this thing is going to blow up. The gas spore explodes when it drops to zero hit points. Each creature within 20 feet of it must succeed on a DC 15 con save. CR half. DC 15. Uh, or take 3d6 poison damage and become infected with a disease on a failed save. Creature immune to the poison condition are immune to this disease. Spores invade an infected creature system, killing the creature in a number of hours equal to 1d12 plus the creature's constitution score, unless the disease is immune is removed. In half that time, the creature becomes poisoned for the rest of the duration. After the creature dies, it sprouts 2d4 tiny gas spores that grow to full size in seven days. I might backhand gift the player with something here where they're going to suffer for a little bit, but maybe they come out and they can speak deep speech or something. I'm also going to murder some NPCs with this. Yeah. Uh, especially mounts. Yeah. The other cool thing about this is that you need, in order to determine that it is a gas spore, you have to hit it with a DC 15 nature check. Which you never get. Nothing calls for nature checks. Um, it has a touch attack of plus zero to hit. It does one poison damage and the creature must succeed on a con save or become infected with the disease described in the death burst. So if you just fill a cavern with these things, making death or making dex checks to get through it, and then you throw about three gazers into the middle of it. Stop firing off the rays. And you think about this with the telekinetic ray, you're just 
popping these things left, right, and center. Oh, God, yeah. That would be so terrifying. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun for me. I want to put these things in every beholder layer. And I'm thinking vertically as well, so I'd have them kind of floated around. I used to like these poisonous balloons yeah. that they have to navigate their way through. Yeah. Do you remember the scene in The Wizard of Oz where they're they're walking through the field of, of poppies and it puts them all to sleep and shit? Yeah. I'm just thinking about a field of these things. Yeah. I think that's a load of fun. It's so creepy. It's so weird. I wish it was in the beholder section because I don't think a lot of people... But I think everybody just strolls right by or, or flips past... Um, the uh, the fungus section of the monster manual. Yeah, I've never looked in the fungus section. No, but it's I'm not. This, and that's only one of them. There are a couple other really cool things in there. Oh, this could be so good because you know that that maybe someone's going to throw a fireball in there to try and get rid of them all, or a <laughs> right? lightning bolt, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, your sleet storm is the worst idea ever. <laughs> can you imagine? Uh, yes, I can, and I absolutely love it. Are you a fan of NPCs giving out bad ideas to PCs? Well, would, yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't Gust just kind of get rid of it altogether? Because it's lighter than air. Until it hits something. It, oh, no, no, no. He's saying get rid of the cloud. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Once okay. it bursts, you gust, and it's up, and then it doesn't come down again. In theory, if you have it. I like the idea of putting these things in narrow, small tunnels you have to crawl through. Hmm. Sure, but even then, like you've got a little time before... It's neat, don't get me wrong, but I think you could probably get around this. You should be able to get around anything in D&D. Like, as a DM, I'm not giving you an automatic death, right? No, for but, sure, but you, I just want to make sure that my guys actually can be equipped to deal with this. Although this can be detrimental, it's manageable if they're smart. Yeah, also, honestly, if they hold their breath, I'm cool with that too. They can just walk through the cloud holding their breath. Oh, no, they got to have their eyes closed, too. Spores get in your eyes and stuff. Oh, no way. Sure, okay, but then you're doing deck saves with disadvantage because you're blind and, like, or go the other way. This just is a way to block them moving through. You can see the objective on the far side of this cavern, but you can't get there. Yeah. And I think that's infuriating, except for the one guy that just misty steps, bloop, and he's over there. Everybody else is like, but fuck, come on. Yeah. I want to come to um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on really briefly. Are you guys familiar with the reduced threat monsters? No. No. Okay. Tales of the Yawning Portal introduced these. Um, and they're kind of neat. The Beholder's the one that everybody talks about. But there are a number of them, including wyverns and other things as well. And this is a template that you put on top of a creature. And I'm just going to bring it up in the Beholder episode. We're never going to talk about it again because it is a mechanic that everyone should know about. A reduced threat monster has half the hit points of the base creature and all of its attack rolls, ability checks, saving throws, and saving throw DCs are reduced by two. If the base creature is bigger than large, its size becomes large and the damage of its weapons is reduced accordingly if applicable. A reduced threat creature warrants half the experience base um, that the base creature gets for defeating it. So that's it. You are essentially having it and making it less effective. Yeah. That way you will you will actually be able to defeat these. The only reason I bring this up is because I'm thinking about the Beholder Hive with all of the Beholders in it. And each one is supposed to be smaller than the original one, but then they don't give you stats for them. It's a way of scaling it, right? Scaling yeah. It down, I, yeah. I guess I already... Scale it on my own normally. I always scale up though. 
I like having a mechanic to scale down. I, I do too, but it's it's easy to apply it the other way. Instead of giving it more, I give it less. You know, it's just it's. This is an easy version of not necessarily being specifically beholders here, but to use uh, younger variations of other creatures as well. Everything's always seems to be an adult. You know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things that I really liked about. I think it was Ghost of Saltmarsh gave us the uh, juvenile kraken. Yeah, which was really nice to see. Now we've got like nine different kinds of krakens, but it was really cool to see. Like a baby kraken. Yeah. And why don't we have baby um, dragon turtles? Yeah. Right. Baby like, hellhounds. I I Aww. like it. Right. Yeah. That's how they get you. Yeah. Um. So, would you use a reduced threat beholder for a hive, or are you just going full strength? No, I'm going to do the same thing I always do. I'm going to throw the full thing at them. Uh, if they can't handle it, and it's very apparent within the first couple of rounds, I'll dumb it down a little. Um, and if it's not hard enough, I will strengthen it. You're one of these DMs that, that is more about the experience of the battle yeah. than the storyline involved. Yeah, rules are meant to be broken. Or do, you reveal, do your players know that about you as you're DMing? So they, yeah, they is know there that... a point where they're going, okay, we've beaten it, but we have Okay, yes, probably. Yeah. Uh, they'll know that, oh, yeah, this is not going to be that big of a deal. It's just a cave full of orcs. But if you run in ahead of everybody else, Calvin, <laughs> and just get surrounded by orcs as the rogue, Calvin, when you're 60 feet in front of everybody else, Calvin, and these 12 orcs get to hit you, Calvin, you're going to die. Right? Like, there's no coming back from that. You have made a poor choice. It's going to happen. No amount of me dumbing that down is going to save that. Yeah, Calvin, right? with your made-up name. Your name's Fuck. Kevin, all right? <laughs> His made-up name is Guppy. <laughs> um, Calvin, so, you're lovely. <laughs> um, so my my question then is when you accidentally kill a, a character, and I mean like accidentally, the rolls went, you crit and then rolled max damage and you dropped someone. Are you bending over backwards to help them out? No, I one time accidentally rolled three twenties in a row, and in three point five, that's an auto kill. So sorry, you're dead. <laughs> the dice said it. That's it. And that's the game. I can't. I, I cannot fix that. My, me and Dan will have this argument forever about how he would try and help them, and I would argue like, well, what the fuck are we doing with that? I'll try. I mean, in in three point five, you roll it, and if you hit their AC, or sorry, if you critical, you roll again to see if you confirm, right? So you got to hit above their AC. If you critical again, though, you get the extra one. So there's always that pause. It's like, well, you know that it's up to this one roll. And it, it's low chance, but it yeah. could. And when it does, I'm not going to save you. Sorry. Yeah. See, I'm like that in every battle, though. I, I balance my combat ahead of time. And I come in, and it's not about the numbers. I don't fudge the numbers. I will fudge the tactics. Yeah. Right? So that I will just... I know that that one person is hurting... And I will wait for someone to do some flashing maneuver on the other side of the battlefield to catch everyone else's attention. And now all the enemies will focus their attention on someone else so that one player can recover. But if I end up knocking them down, if it, if and it's not about the dice, it's just about the AC and the hit points and the, and the damage I'm doing, right? I will not adjust that on the fly. Then this, this makes it so that I'm paying closer attention I think than the average DM right to to what the players are capable of doing in between sessions where I sit down and go, oh this is really good encounter for ah fuck me Terry's used a second wind by now 
I'll scale this down a little bit. Yeah. I'm doing that shit at home ahead of time. And then that means that sometimes it's a cakewalk when it shouldn't be. And sometimes it's way deadlier than it should be. Mm. But that's the randomness of, of life. And I'm comfortable with that. I do not adjust on the fly. And as a matter of fact, as Terry knows, when players start to drop, I get anxiety. That freaks me out. And I don't like it. Yeah. And I am as upset as the rest of the people around the table. Yeah. Everyone else is like, I still got death saves. And I'm like, you're going to die. Yeah. And it's my fault. Adam's, Adam's the only DM in the world that's flipping the table because he's <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm going home. But to go back to the original question, I like the template, but for other things, not for beholders. Because um, yeah. I think I, I personally want that satisfaction of I beat behold a proper full strength. Uh, but that's perfect for, like you said, giants. Your, your juvenile teenage giant whose voice keeps breaking. <laughs> <laughs> He's as tall as a Goliath. <laughs> we shout a roar at you. <laughs> Alright, so uh, do we have any final thoughts about these three? Is there any unique role-playing encounters that you would want to bring to the table with these guys? Um, is there? We're going to cover Xanathar himself in a future episode. We're going to cover all the other kinds of beholders and, behold, and beholder layers the next time we talk about monsters. So is there anything else for these three or the eye rays or the basic beholder mechanics? My uh, final thought is, yes, there's the satisfaction of going out to kill Behold a Proper if that's what you want, but I would recommend using these as, as just part of the puzzle. Put a, a puzzle in there and think outside of the box. It's not always to kill. It should be to try and have one person specifically survive, to try and get through an area, to try and get in, retrieve something and get out. Um, use these to, to make a puzzle more challenging instead of just always being just to kill the Beholder. Because that is probably quite unlikely. Mm. Dave, any final thoughts? I like how versatile they are. If I was going to get into something like a spectator, I would probably get it in in a way that I'm going to make it have that conversation with the quiet player. I don't I don't want the... Like you said, it, it targets the leader, right? Yeah. So I'm going to use that to my advantage. I'm going to use that to try to help one of my players maybe come out of their shell and role play a little bit better. Yeah. The gazer, I mean, I, I know of a couple of players in my um, my campaign we're still doing online. They would just eat that up. They would love to have that conference or that uh, conversation with it. Yeah. They would love to just deal with this. They would love to just deal with this. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. They're <laughs> shitty people. You're shitty people. Um, Calvin. Two of them together. <laughs> The two gazers just getting higher pitched and higher pitched until one of them just has an aneurysm. One of them does the talking, but one of them just keeps laughing at what the other one says. Yeah. So one of them is like, you do He just thinks he's the funniest thing ever. Right, they're, like, they're fucking gremlins now is what they are. I mean, yeah. But no, I think there, there's good role play opportunity with these guys. They're not just big balls of yeah. eyes and death yeah and i think that's that's what people use them for the other thing that i wanted to, to bring up my last thought is do you roll the random eye stocks ahead of time no. if, you, if you know they're going to run into them no you don't do that ahead of time no i've seen an argument for it just to speed up play and so that you have a little bit more control over because the beholder can be used now more for role-playing than ever before because your 
charming and luring people in, or you're putting them to sleep and you're getting them, or you're you're using telekinesis, you're subjugating, you're getting minions, you've got gas spores you've set up in your lair. They these guys are like dragons as far as set pieces go, right? So you can really make them more than just a monster in the woods, like a like the Tarask. There's more to them now. So because of that, do you well first of all, I give them common. Yeah, I would too. That's that's a no. If it's gonna be a role play heavy one, I'm gonna give them common or a C3PO translator. Yeah. There's no reason why they couldn't learn common. But the idea that they would know because they've planned for every eventuality and that's in there, the I like the idea, or I've seen the idea that I kinda like, of them rolling it ahead of time and just by numbers. Just I know as everyone else is rolling their initiative and figuring it out, I'm rolling a shit ton of D10s and just recording what order they go in. Yeah, even if it's in the spirit of fair play after the encounter, you turn that sheet over to the players and just be like, boom, that's the order we went with. Remember? Yeah, it's yeah. it's still random. You're just doing it ahead of time. And you kind of get an idea that, hey, I'm going uh, disintegration ray heavy this round. No, I see. I like the idea of making them sweat a little bit. There's the a little more anxiety, right? There's... Yeah, there, there's more intrigue. They're, they're waiting for it. The anticipation. And they know. Hearing the clickety clack of the math rock, you know, they just, there's if something you're open about rolling, it. right? They know number 10's death rate. They know whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for speed of play, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it that way, Adam, because, like I say, you can turn the sheet over afterwards and be like, look, that's the order. That's the order we did. Yeah. You know? So I, I can find an argument for both sides. I like rolling it in the moment because I want my players to see my reaction to go, Shit. All right. But I'm going to make that noise anyways. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right? going to have that moment oh, to fuck with them. The, oh, the glance up. How many hit points do you have? <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite questions of, so how's everyone doing? Yeah. Hold on, i got to look something up. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Or just simply getting halfway through flipping through pages and then closing the book and going, ah, fuck, I guess. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right, just that little bit of fear that you you can see in their eyes at that moment. That you are slightly out of control. That is why I DM. Right? <laughs> You're in it to fuck with the players. That's why I like doing it on, on Roll20 right now, because I can just screenshot that look. And I have it for later. <laughs> it's sustaining. All right, so, so that's it for this week's episode on Beholders. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast and make sure to check us out next week when we continue our discussion on condition effects. You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Okay, if you guys could have any, like, eye-based power, what would it be? You know, like, like the beholders are shooting rays and shit out of right. their eyes. You yourself, what would your eye power be? Mm. It doesn't have to be limited to the D&D stuff. Sure. Let's roll for it. Oh, God. The thing with these, we got put in the spot. What did I uh, get? Terry, you got a 19. Dave, you got an 18. Christ. I got a 2. Can nice. I hold? Can I hold my action? <laughs> no, go first. It's fine. Uh, I guess uh, I would... Okay, this is going to sound really perfect i guess like the classic x-ray vision 
But that's just for convenience, really. What, what in your average day do you need to see through things for? Okay, good point. Because like, like <laughs> x-ray vision to me is like you see a skeleton when you look at someone. It's not like you're looking at their undies and stuff, right? Right. So like, like is... I never understood why x-ray vision stops at clothes. Right? So... Yeah. Oh, more like um, uh, MRI vision, MRI scan vision would be good. <laughs> that should just be great. How's your day going? It's going great. Okay, well, you have stage four cancer. So <laughs> you really need to fix that. I like it. Dave, what about you? Uh, well, you said an eye power. I would love to just be able to close them and immediately go to sleep. Right? <laughs> that would be the best thing that's ever. All you Instead need. of having to do that thing where we pretend to be asleep for a long time, yeah, yeah, that's and how we just, fall asleep. It just happens, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, just like instantly. Actually, that that's I my like kind those. of eye power right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I completely lost what I was going to say because I got to start. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was brilliant. Yeah, that was that was really good. Makes um, sense to me. Uh, I would... Uh, you know what? I want? I want to be able to see people's auras to tell when they're lying. Ah. You're not allowed to have that. Well, first of all, poker, great. I'm going to the casino, right? That's yeah. I'm going to be rich because of this. Mm-hmm. And second of all, I would just abuse the shit out of that all of the time in my personal life. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how's your day? Pretty good. Was it? Because <laughs> you look a little purple today. Yeah, I don't think I know. You can't let them know that you can do it. I don't think I'd like to know because I'd be too suspicious. Because sometimes there's like, I wouldn't say innocent reasons people are lying, but they maybe just be trying to protect you from stuff or save you from the. Well, like, I just don't want to get into the conversation today. Yeah, that's it. But you may just start getting really suspicious. Like, why would they lie to me? Why would they lie? I don't think you could ever have a relationship again. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. Okay. But the, well, actually, it's the same thing with mine, though. Like, nobody wants to walk around and see automatically see their friends or each other. You should get that looked at. I'm really sorry. Like, nobody wants that. <laughs> I feel like yours would be really useful if you worked for the TSA. Yeah. In the States, right? Like, you don't need the machine. You just instantly know when people have shit on them. Yeah. Oh, yours would be bad. Do you have any idea how, how many people have, like, things in their butts just walking around? <laughs> no. Tell me. Well, Actually, I have that stat. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was reading on the... Never mind. Two out of three people in this room. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> have fun with that edit, Dan.